So I have a question for you this morning. Are you a responsive disciple or, you are, or are you just taking up space in the kingdom of God? Let's pray. Father, an important question to answer. Am I a responsive disciple or am I not? Am I just taking up space? Oh God, I pray now that you would uh, open up our hearts, make us hungry to hear your word, oh God. We have come hungry. I believe that those who are here, those who are watching are hungry to hear from you. So Lord, speak to us because we're listening. And we know that you want us to respond, not just to pick up information about you, but rather to respond to your call in our life. And I pray, oh God, that we would do that and be faithful to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it sure is nice to not be battling a windstorm. I don't know if you noticed last week, but I wore a rather baggy shirt. And I was like a sailboat up there. The wind was, I thought I was going to get uh, drift off the platform and have to get strapped on. But um, thankfully the Lord had me firmly rooted on the, on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. Amen? I'm really mixing my metaphors now for sure. You know, there's a, there's a biblical pattern of spiritual engagement that runs throughout the scriptures starting at the very beginning and running right throughout to the final pages of, of the Bible on how God responds to us, on how God draws us to himself and then mobilizes us to serve his purposes. Let me just give you a, a quick survey uh, in sort of preparation for the text that we want to look at this morning. Most of you have been to many weddings. You've probably been to your own wedding. And so one of the texts that's preached at a wedding in Genesis chapter 2 is that a man should leave his father and mother, right? Be united to his uh, wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's this leave, cleave, weave. There's this leave something behind, grab hold of something uh, that God has given you and, and then be changed by it. Become something different that God wants you to be. When Jesus um, met up with those who were going to be candidates for disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he said to them, leave your nets, remember, follow me, and what? I will make you fishers of men. It's the same idea. Leave, come and grab hold of something, and I will make something of your life. Then a little further along in a text that we're really familiar with in Matthew 16, which is the text about salvation... Jesus there says, deny yourself, so leave yourself, grab your cross and follow me, and then find your life in Matthew 16. And, and the Apostle Paul picks up the same formula in, in Romans chapter 13, verses 12 to 14, when he says, put aside the deeds of darkness, leave the deeds of darkness, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So, once again, it's the same pattern. Throughout, throughout the scriptures, this pattern is how God uh, functions, how God operates in calling us to himself. It's a spiritual paradigm. Leave something behind that's an obstacle to what God wants for your life. And quite honestly, a lot of people get stranded there. They don't want to leave the obstacle that God wants us to leave so that he can change our lives 
more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. So it's leave behind something, take what God offers you, and be made purposeful to God. That's the pattern. And Jesus paid the price so we could find our purpose. Jesus died for us so that we could have our purpose in him. And Jesus, you know, he, he also taught in Luke chapter 9, you know, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. You've probably heard that text before. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And do you know what Jesus said after that? Otherwise, he says, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. There's this radical decision that has to be made by us to leave something that's in the way, grab hold of what God is offering you, and benefit from the changes that God is going to make in your life. That's the pattern. So I present that as sort of a lead into our, our text today in 1 Kings chapter 19. And just to say to you that every time, or every year at this time, um, or sometimes a little later, in churches all over the country, recruitment for ministry service hits a fever pitch. So don't be surprised if you get some phone calls and things like that, because this is the season when we're looking to the fall and recognizing that there are many positions, many, many ministry opportunities that are available and not enough workers. As Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And, and for some of us, we have been on like a 17th month hiatus from serving the Lord in the way that we've been used to. That's a long sabbatical, beloved. It's time to get up off the carpet, up off the mat, and be recruited by God into, the, and this year, you know, recruiting people just to come to church. It's not about serving as much as come to church. Praise God. We um, maxed out our, our, our restricted number t today in both services, so we're praising God for that, and uh, thank Him for that. And who knows, we may have to just increase services, which we will do, and you can pray about that. But... But it feels to me like the challenges of our moment are very similar to the challenges that Elijah faced in this text that we're going to look at this morning. Now remember, just a little recap, last week, remember, we left Elijah uh, running 50 kilometers faster than a horse and chariot from Mount Carmel to Jezreel because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's, it's, it's amazing what our body can do if God decides he wants us to do something that's quite amazing. And, and then he, he takes a hike, another 262 kilometers roughly, from Jezreel to Beersheba and Beersheba to Mount Sinai, remember? All for the sake of taking a beef to God. All because he wanted to complain to God. And he wanted to complain to God that he was the only one left, if you remember, the only one left that was faithful to the Lord in all the land, which of course we know isn't true, but he was feeling that way. And he said that I alone am zealous for you. And God's like, really? Then why are you here? Because I didn't call you here. You're not, you're not where my will directed you. You came here on your own with a chip on your shoulder, Elijah. And you're not really zealous for me. You're, you're zealous for your ministry position and its effectiveness. 
You're frustrated because things haven't gone the way you hoped they would go in the time that you hoped they would, would, would go. But you're not really zealous for me. And, and you know, it, it, I don't know about you, but the sermon preached to me. That, that kind of sermon, because we can get so focused on doing good things for God that they can become an idol in the way of God easily if we're not careful. And Elijah was there. And it, it totally discouraged his life. When you aren't focused on the Lord alone, you will pay an emotional toll for it. Sometimes a physical toll after that. So here we are, the commission on, on Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, just reading a little bit of what we read last week. We're at, we're at um, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He turned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. This is the word of God to us this morning. It's, um, I'm sure, rather odd to Elijah that God would send him to the desert of Damascus to initiate such global or geopolitical changes. He was going to overthrow the king of Aram, overthrow the king of Israel, anoint a new prophet. You know, that's the kind of stuff you do at the temple, you know. Send me to the temple. That's the place of action. That's the place of influence. No, Elijah, see, that's the problem. That's, that's why I'm sending you to the desert of Damascus. You consistently think that that everything has to be as you think I should do it, as you've seen me do it before. You think that, that that's the place where I work. Listen, I can work anywhere, Elijah, including the desert of Damascus. So go there. From this story of the one-two punch of Elijah and now Elisha, we can pick up some important takeaways concerning how God recruits people to ministry roles and who God is in all of this. God would demonstrate his sovereign influence through Elijah in amazing ways. This was going to be a handover of ministry and that's scheduled by God. Elijah's marathon evidently was coming to a close. And um, I'm not sure if we've really thought about the fact that, that Elijah's name, which we, we think Pastor Nick mentioned to us, Elijah's name means Yahweh is God. So, I mean, when they saw the prophet Elijah, they, were, they, they weren't, we hear the word Elijah, that's a Hebrew word, but, but what they saw was Yahweh is God. 
Everywhere he went, Yahweh is God. Hey, here comes Yahweh is God. Now, in a Baal-worshipping culture, that name stood out significantly. And um, in fact, so much so that later on, we're going to find that King Ahab didn't even want to address Elijah by his name. He said, that enemy of mine. He didn't even want to use his name because Ahab did not want to say, Yahweh is God. And and now, for the second installment, we have Elisha, and his name means God is my salvation. Now, Now, look what God is doing. He's picking two individuals to be mobile advertisements of who God is in a Baal-saturated pagan culture that should have been turning their attention over to God. And every time the prophet showed up, they were reminded a lot, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God, not Baal. And now the next installment of the prophetic work in the land of Israel is going to be Elisha. God is my salvation. Baal is not our salvation. God is our salvation. You know, we ought to think about naming our kids differently. How about Jesus is Lord? Can you imagine? Like you get in school and, you know, the teacher sits down with a list of paper. There's Sally. Sally Smith, you here? Yes. Uh, Marty Jones. Yes, Marty Jones. Jesus is Lord? Who's that kid? Can you imagine? That's what they were doing. That's what they had going on here. If I had an opportunity to have more kids, I just might do that. Can you imagine what the kid would think of their parents? Thanks very much. Totally appreciate this. So, Elijah was, was told to anoint a new king in, in uh, Aram and a new king, Arame, Arameans, and a new king over Israel, and he didn't do it, and we don't know why. It ultimately ended up being Elisha doing it. But one thing he did do is he went and sought out Elisha. And I'm guessing he did because he wanted out of his job. He was only too happy to have a successor to his role. And so he goes to, and he finds Elisha. But now, now, listen, though, the rains had started. So farming was prosperous again. It had become fruitful. And, and now God is going to call a prophet farmer who is now at this point recognizing that prophet with an F is inevitable. And now God is going to ask me to be prophet with a PH. I'm not sure I want to do that. So let me give you quickly five insights in this text. I think that will be helpful to you. I want you to, to, to make them yours. I want you to own them. Because remember the question at the front of this sermon. Are you a responsive disciple? Or are you just taking up kingdom space? So here's five insights about serving God in terms of who God recruits. Often we're thinking, hey, you know what? I'm a nobody. You know, I, I, I've, I, I'm not known by people. Nobody knows, hardly anybody knows me. I, I don't really know if I have any skills. I really don't think I have much. I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of just a, a background person. I'm a nobody. I don't even know if God knows where I am or what I can do or anything like this. I have important news for you, an important news flash. God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you can do. And he knows exactly where you are. 
God lists for Elijah, uh, Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He lives in Abel Mahola. God knows who we are. God knows where we are. God knows what we do and what we can do. God knows. And here is Elisha is, is being recruited. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is always the advanced headhunter in God's recruiting uh, uh, escapades. He's the one tapping, the Holy Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder long before someone else does about what God wants you to do. You can respond to it or you can resist it. But God goes, the Spirit of God goes ahead of you that you might sense the call of God in your life. Am I, calling, am I talking now about full-time service, full-time uh, vocational service? No, not necessarily. I'm talking about the recruitment of every single follower of Jesus Christ into the ministry for Christ in his kingdom. Every one of us are called to something for Christ. And Elisha has good credentials. He's industrious. You know, 12 yoke of oxen is nothing to sneeze at. That's a, that's a major farm. That's a major ranching operation. And here he is. He's, he's humble. He, he, it says he's, um, on purpose it tells us, he's riding the last of the 12 yoke of oxen. He's bringing up the rear literally in a humble way. He's the provider, respectful. He's resistant to cultural trends because the cultural trends of the day were to serve Baal. He's not serving Baal. He recognizes the prophet as soon as he comes and, 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 wants to, and, and, and recognizes who he is. And by the way, I would suggest that Elisha didn't just suddenly become a, a person with good credentials. I'm suggesting that he probably was raised well by his father and by his mother to be that kind of person to be industrious, to be humble, to be a good provider, to work diligently, to work hard, to stick with it, to be faithful, to serve the Lord. That doesn't just happen. I got thinking as I was writing this and preparing it about uh, um, a challenge to parents in terms of your, your kids and raising your kids. And teaching them very early to serve the living Christ and serve in the kingdom you don't wait for these things to happen. You, you employ them early. I, I'm excited. To, I, I'm always excited about our church. Our church is, is known and committed to, to raising up kids early to serve and putting them in places of service and getting them in early. That was Aidan Doyle's inaugural experience here at the morning service playing the lead guitar. That, that's exciting. That, 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 that makes me excited to see the generation continue to come up and fill in the ranks. Yeah, thinking about our own kids, you know, and we didn't do this, by the way, in some sort of plan, but, but as I look back, I see what God was doing. You know, our, our firstborn, Graydon, we introduced him at a young age to missions. And today he's serving in Tanzania right now. Well, you saw him with his crew singing there this morning. I've, I've second-guessed myself on that over time, but we, we had Jordan, when he was just a little kid, changing overheads, you know how far back that is, changing overheads for worship services. He's still doing basically the same thing. And maybe a little more sophisticated, but, but the same type of thing. Bronwyn was busy singing at a very early age. He's still singing to the Lord. Serving God starts... Very, very early. 
model that for your kids. Show your kids. I encourage you to do that. It, it, it seems to work. So Elijah's told to go and anoint Elisha. So what he does is he, he comes along and he just, he throws his cloak on Elisha. You imagine he cloaked him, mantled him, throws his coat on him, a hairy coat. That's his recruitment style. And then we're left wondering, um, is Elisha going to go along with this? And, and, and it's sort of like a hit and run recruitment, which is kind of my favorite style. It's like, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life. This is what he wants you to do. Goodbye. And then leave. You don't want to wait for anything. You don't want to hear what anybody has to say. Because you know what everybody's going to say? I'll pray about it. <laughs> That's where all good ideas go to die. All good recruitment goes to die at the I will pray about it stage. Okay? So I'm on to you. I've heard that so many times. I'll pray about it. Oh, good. I might as well make another phone call because that one isn't going to take. Because God would never tell you to work in the kingdom. So he does this hit and run, and Elijah gets up off his yoke, his oxen, and he runs after Elisha, runs after Elijah, and he tells him, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and, and then I'll come with you. And so that's kind of like, I'm going to pray about it statement, right? I'm going to go and talk to my parents, and then I'll say goodbye, and I'll come back to you. And Elijah's like, sure you will. And you're saying, How do, where are you getting that from? Well, Here's what Elijah says. What have I done to you? It's, um, it's a beautiful way of laying it heavy on someone. Sure. Go back and talk to your parents, Elisha. I mean, after all, it's not me who's asking you to do this. I think you know who's asking you to do this. So, yeah, sure. Go back and pray about it. Go back and ask your family about it. It's not me recruiting you. I think you know who's recruiting you. And so we find out that he goes back. And I assume he goes through some sort of struggle. I would think he would. Fam leaving family, all that's familiar. Having to go and, and, and move forward in something that he was uncertain about and had no experience doing. In, um, you've probably heard this before, but when Steve Jobs was an executive with Apple and he was seeking to recruit John Scully, who was an executive with Pepsi, he said to, Jobs said to Scully, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want to come after me and change the world? That's what Elijah basically said to Elisha. You want to plow these fields for the rest of your life? Or do you want to listen to God? Follow me. And be part of God's changing of this world. I throw that out to you this morning. I suppose we could have the benediction right now. What has God called you to? Have you made up your mission statement? 
of what you believe God has laid on your heart to do in the kingdom? I asked you a few years ago to do that. Have you done that yet? To make certain that you have your mission statement that God has laid on your heart to be a responsive disciple of Christ. Well, there's a second um, observation I make here in the text, and it, it, it hits most of us when we're recruited. I'm afraid of the cost. What's this going to cost me? That's why the delay tactics with I'll pray about it, because it's really, what is this going to cost me? I don't think about what's going to be the cost. Have you ever considered the cost of not being available to God when he comes knocking? It always costs to follow God. I just will tell you that up front. By the way, we have something for you to do, and it's going to cost you. It always costs to serve God. That's, so you have to count the cost. And this Elisha guy is no starving artist, all right, hoping for a job to come along. Oh, thank you, Elijah. I was, I was looking for a job. No, this guy is, he, he's, he's, he's plowing the fields in a very fertile part of Israel just west of the Jordan and south of Bashan. He's a, he's a very, very successful farmer, 24 oxen. He's a major factor in, in agricultural resources in that area. And, and, and farming at this scale was lucrative. This is a guy who was making money and was going to make a lot more money, going to be able to retire early. And he's now being recruited to be a prophet of the living God. And he clearly knows something about it. He knows that what's trending in the culture is worship of Baal, not worship of God. He recognizes that what's trending in the culture around him, that politics everywhere is opposing God, not supporting God. He knows that there's going to be lots of resistance, and the path of least resistance would be to keep farming. He also knows that a prophet's going to have a tough life, few rewards in this earth, in this, this world, and lots of discouragement. But he did get to wear a hairy coat. That's a plus. Wear a name tag, God is my salvation. Everywhere where people would hate to see that. See, serving Christ isn't a hobby. It, it, it's a sacrifice. It is. Anybody who tells you anything differently is not telling you the truth. That's, that's the obstacle for most people. They're looking for a hobby. They're looking for a pastime. If it's fun, I'll do it. If it's not, I won't want to, I won't want to do it. I'll do this as long as it's fun. That, that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. Those addicted to entitlement are almost non-starters. This call is from God, Elisha. So you go tell him and then let me know what you want to do. So what have you given up? What are you willing to give up? Is there anything that you wouldn't give up to serve the Lord? Third, um, many people, you know, are willing to sort of step in but they want to keep their options available to them. I can step back out or I can do this. Stay with me here on, on Elijah or Elisha. Um, he had a lot of expensive equipment, tools of his trade. 24 oxen, it's a lot. 
what does he do? He slaughters his yoke of oxen, he burns his plowing equipment, he eats his livelihood, and he burns the tools of his trade, and he blesses his community with a celebration service of him serving the Lord. <laughs> he burns all of his security, he, 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 he goes public with his call, he takes his hand off his plow and puts it on the staff of a prophet, because serving God requires turning your back on earthly affections. It just does. You have to cut your ties. He obeyed the claim of God in his life, made a complete break. Does God own your time and your talents? Let me ask you that question right now. Does God own your time, your talents, your abilities, or do you? Do you well, well, let me follow it up with another question. Do you understand salvation? Because at salvation, you were bought with a price, not of silver and gold. You were bought with the precious sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ who paid for you and purchased you out of the slave market of sin and gave you freedom in Christ. And our reasonable act of worship is to serve him. What are you still... What's still binding you? What's still holding you? The fourth thing I notice here is um, a lot of people are willing to be recruited as long as they're in charge. Sure, I'll do that, but I, I need to be in charge. And, and I need to rewrite the profit personnel policy for me to be willing to do that. Almost imperceptible. There's a final statement in the final sentence of this section. Look what it says. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Wow. This guy's a successful entrepreneur. He's running a successful business. By the standards of everybody around him, like Elisha is the one who should be telling Elijah what to do. This guy's effective. And what does he become? The attendant of Elijah. And furthermore, you need to know that in 2 Kings 3.11, this is how they talked about Elisha. The, the scuttlebutt around was, oh, Elisha. Yeah, Elisha is the one who, who comes and pours water on the hands of Elijah. That, that's how he was regarded. Oh, yeah, he's the dude who, who pours water on the hands of the great prophet Elijah. Look, at people are the means to God's ends. That's how God functions. And succession is God's way. So prepare to be trained before you are in charge if you're going to serve the living God. Because different people advance different purposes of God. Discipleship training in what it meant to wear the garments of God, to wear the hairy prophet's jacket was necessary. And so it is for all of us. It is necessary for us. He set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. I did a pastor's conference years ago in, in Zambia. And of all the responses after I spoke, I was regularly flooded with a bunch of young guys who would come up to me and say, 
hey, listen, I'm, I'm having a real challenge with the, the lead pastor guy, and I just want to start my own thing. Can you give me some advice? Here's my advice to them. You're not ready to start your own thing. Because anybody who talks like that is not ready to start their own thing. Over and over again, we see this happening in increased interest in church planting, which we praise the Lord over, but often the increased interest in church planting isn't church planting. It's so that a bunch of young guys can have their own gig and have nobody over them. The work of God is moved forward by succession, by standing on the shoulders of others who've been effective in ministry, by learning something there's a lot of benefit. I mean, I was young and now I'm old and I can tell you a few things, I think. There's a lot of benefit, by the way, in not reinventing the wheel, young guy. There's a lot of benefit in not fighting the same fights, but having someone who's a little bit seasoned who sees something coming and says, you can avoid that. There's a lot of benefits to being fast-tracked in experience by someone who knows the way things work. There's a lot of benefit in having protective custody and having the buck stop somewhere else for a while before it stops with you. There's a lot of benefits to discovering you don't know much before others discover it about you. And finally, there's a real benefit in not occupying a platform that your training and your character can't yet support. There's a lot of casualties along the way because people just weren't ready and wouldn't reach out for a mentor. And if you do, from what I see in the scriptures, you will probably advance the ministry beyond your mentor because that's how God does things. Let me close with this. The final is the fear of failure. I don't really know if Elijah was wondering about this, but it certainly is appropriate when you're talking about a text in recruitment. The fear of inadequacy. The fear of lack of proven success. Oh, God, you have no idea. I've never succeeded at anything. Nobody's ever asked me to do anything. Nobody's entrusted anything to me, Lord. Uh, are you sure you, you sure you want me? Look, at know-how comes from preparation and experience, and I'm certainly not diminishing the importance of that. But empowerment comes from the Lord. The power to do God's work doesn't come from your experience, and it doesn't come from your preparation. It comes from the Lord. Elijah, Elisha would succeed because God had called him and would enable him to succeed. There's a first time for everybody. You never know what God can do with you until you leap into his arms and say, let's go, God. I'm all yours. Take me where you want to take me. Give me what you want to give to me. Ask me to do what you want to ask me to do. I'm yours. Let's go. There's liberty to doing that, freedom to doing that, and excitement to doing that. I didn't know for one second that, I could, that God would enable me to teach the Bible. How do you know these things until you do it? And then you find out, hey, 
God is empowering me and helping me to do this. And people are being blessed and it's changed my life and I trust in the Lord that it has changed other people's lives. That's what it means to serve God, be a responsive disciple to Him. People are the means to God's ends. So how are you a contribution to that? If you're to fill in a blank today, I am being used by God to blank. What is it? What is it? You're not taking up space, are you? You're a responsive disciple of the living God, I trust. As long as your place, as long as you place your security and your trust in God as the key to ministry success, he will help you and you will succeed. Who could follow Elijah? I mean, what a daunting call. Elijah is at least number two or number three prophet in all of history. The reason I say that is because we've got Moses, who is a big time prophet. We've got John the Baptist, who Jesus said among all the prophets, he is the greatest. So Elijah is at least two or three. Who could follow that? That's a big time resume. Elisha did because he put his security and his trust in the living God to empower him and to help him, and so can you. So, you know, think about it. Are you thinking that you can't or that you won't? Are you willing to be anointed for service or when one of us calls you, you're going to say, I'm going to pray about it. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not suggesting prayer isn't a big component of all of this. But when God comes knocking on your door, tapping you on the shoulder, the Holy Spirit has already gone on advance in, in terms of what God has already recruited. He's recruited you because he saved you. You've already been recruited. So now take up the staff of God, and do for the kingdom of God what God calls you to do where he has called you to serve. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your word to us. I pray, oh Father, that you will, um, that this, this requires a response. And so, Lord, I pray as, as the Holy Spirit um, works on our hearts and our lives as we look to the church getting back up off its sick bed, getting moving ahead and advancing ministry and moving our ministry, Lord, here and internationally and all that needs to be done. Lord, um, we, you are the master recruit, recruiter. The Holy Spirit is the great uh, one who goes before and, and uh, moves our hearts and our lives, and I pray that that will happen in, in amazing ways, Lord, in this next season of ministry here at Calvary, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.